0: Hi, all Thanks so much for joining Speaking of Making Healthcare Work for You, Different Perspectives and Empowering Solutions. I'm Stephanie Fields, joined by my co-host, Dr. Apoorv Gupta, and today we welcome Dr. Tracy Vogel, who is an obstetrics anesthesiologist and the director of the Perinatal Trauma-Informed Care Clinic at Allegheny Health Network. Thanks so much for being here.
1: Thank you for having me. It's an absolute privilege to be able to talk about my work and to talk about this very special group of patients that we're going to talk about today. Can you tell us, just set the stage, what is trauma-informed uh, care? Trauma-informed care is really a, a concept. It's, it is a, a way of interacting with patients that incorporates an awareness of previous cultural context, previous traumas that they've lived. And understanding the impact that trauma has on their lifetime um, in terms of behavioral effects, physical effects, psychological effects, and how that can possibly impact their experience in the medical community, especially in childbirth where I work.
0: And so how does this work? Because when we were doing the pre-interview, it was a fascinating conversation that I wish we recorded then because it was so great. But- how do you start doing this? Because you are an anesthesiologist. So how do you start making that leap and try to teach these people soft skills? How do you get involved in that? Where does that passion come from? Because it's clearly something that you're incredibly passionate about.
1: Um, well, I'll give you a, a synopsis, a short synopsis of how I got to this place. Um, because I get this question a lot. Like, how is it you're, you're an anesthesiologist and you're a part psychologist and, When I started at West Penn Hospital, part of the Allegheny Health Network about 10 years ago, it was a job that I accepted because I could do exclusively obstetric anesthesia, which means I was on the OB floor 100% of the time. And being there let me really observe a lot of different things, not just periodically. So I started to see some disturbing trends I started to pay attention to what women were telling me, their fears, their concerns, some responses to things that made me raise an eyebrow. And then at one point, probably two years in, I was referred a patient who had known PTSD. And I didn't know much about PTSD at the time, but I think she was referred to me because providers felt like I had a very gentle way of communicating with patients. I was a good listener and they said, please see what you can do with her. Well, I learned so much from this particular patient, and she really shared with me what it was like to live with PTSD and how terrifying it was for her to go through childbirth. And she's the one that said, if you want to learn more, maybe you should visit PAR, which is Pittsburgh's Action Against Rape, which is our Allegheny County's Rape Crisis Center. While that was happening, my middle schooler, high schooler were also reading about uh, the rape crisis centers on college campuses. We were watching 13 Reasons Why, that Netflix series about suicide and rape. And I thought, okay, uh, it's time to give back to the community. I'm gonna go to par. So I ended up training as a sexual assault counselor during that time. So 40 hours plus of training, volunteering, I learned more in that 40 hours than I think I learned in medical school or residency combined about women, what, what happens to them, what do survivors look like. Okay, so now I had some context for what I was seeing in, in the labor and delivery suites. Like now I started to see this, this aspect of people that were coming in with trauma, what it looked like, and also those that were being traumatized at that time in labor and delivery. So then my next step was, I need to start doing something about it. So recognition and raising awareness was the first step, but advocacy also needs action. So then I started to lecture, I got asked to write papers, do some more research, seeing patients on my own before they came in for labor and delivery, then, just, I would say, morphed into or progressed into a formalized clinic where now I help women early in pregnancy that have known histories of any kind of trauma, whether that's birth trauma, childhood trauma, intimate partner violence, systemic or or cultural racism that they've dealt with, toxic traumatic stress, as I call it, help them in any way I can. And then I also see women who've had recent traumatic birth experiences that need some help don't know where to turn need some context for what's happened to them and then getting them into the right hands if that's behavioral health needs etc so that that's in a nutshell how i ended up here but it's it is something that i it's the most rewarding job i've ever had at this point is working with these women
2: amazing amazing dr Vogel, and, and i'm sitting here Listening to your story, uh, and, and I can't help but think that obviously I'm not a woman, and so I, I don't, I can't even fathom the the depth of trauma that the women are going through. Is the first thought that's coming to me. The second thought that's coming to me is sort of like a mixture of uh, being uh, feeling, uh, you know, uh, empowered because you're you're there, and uh, able to help women, uh, you know, this way. But at the same time, I'm feeling overwhelmed as well because I'm, I'm wondering is the overall childbirth process inherently uh, traumatic to some extent? And you know, so what is the extent of, of, of trauma that you're seeing in this population? You know, and, 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 and maybe you can help me and, and our audience understand that a little bit is, I mean, is, are we all, and uh, especially when I say we more broadly, is, are all our women who are going through this process experiencing some trauma of a sort? And, and how, how many of them are you able to see and help through your clinic?
1: Well, let me, let me divide that into a couple of parts. So when we're talking about what do I see in my clinic, what, I'm talking about the, the layers of trauma. When, when I see patients in pregnancy, when I'm talking about their histories and their types of traumas, Like I said before, it can be something from childhood trauma, whether that's sexual trauma, physical, emotional neglect. Um, It could be this intimate partner violence, but the common theme to all of this is this feeling of a loss of control at some point in their lives. Um, They also have a very difficult time establishing trust. And some of them have this lowered sense of self-worth or self-efficacy. So it makes them vulnerable when they get to childbirth because childbirth in and of itself, I think most specialists would agree it's a very vulnerable time for women, just in general. You're there to protect and have this child and you're physically in a state that's very vulnerable. And so it's it's very sensitive. And I think if there's any specialty that needs additional training on how to make women feel safe, it's obstetrics. Um, so We worry about re-traumatization for those women that come with a history of trauma. But we have women who come into childbirth who don't have trauma, but who still can experience events in our traditional healthcare settings in a hospital that are terrifying and make them feel that they have no control or feel helpless, or they fear that their child or themselves, their actual lives are in danger at some point, which then fits the the criteria for trauma from our DSM-5 or our psychiatric Bible, so to speak. So it qualifies as a trauma there. Um, And I do see women in my clinic who've experienced what we call intrapartum trauma. So they didn't have trauma beforehand. They come in and they might have an emergency cesarean delivery. They might have a significant hemorrhage or major bleeding and they might end up in the ICU. Their child might end up in the neonatal intensive care unit. All of these things can be very traumatic. However, not all of these women go on to suffer with mental health issues afterwards. And I think a lot of that has to do with how well they managed, how well they feel that they were supported. Did they feel like they had choice and control Were things explained? Those are some of the mediating factors I think that go into this. Um, but I, I see women who, and, and trauma is in the eyes of the beholder. So some women don't have a real tangible event. They've just had these moments where they had negative interactions with caregivers, felt like they were helpless, and they go on to develop um, significant anxiety or trauma symptoms afterwards. Mm-hmm.
0: So, it's interesting that your practice mm-hmm. sounds like you treat both these women, but also you're working to treat, to help doctors treat these patients. Mm-hmm. So, what are some of these things when you go in and it, you know, like Apoorv was saying a couple minutes ago, you know, I just, wow, I didn't realize, or, you know, I can't imagine being these women. If people haven't experienced that kind of trauma, whatever that might be, how do you help make that real to people who are treating them who may not have experienced the same thing?
1: One of the things that I'm doing this year, and I received a grant from the Highmark Provider Foundation. And part of that grant is to help me do training for as many providers as I can reach in this year period of time within the realm of obstetrics. So any provider that comes in contact with an obstetric patient. And what I've established, and, and I tailor it to each different group of providers because I think they all need something different and they have a different role to play. Um, but what I do is typically start off with an introductory lecture to them about what is trauma, how pervasive is it in our society, so that they learn how to realize that it's a big deal. I mean, we're, we're not talking about one one out of a thousand patients. We're probably talking about one in four of our patients that might come to us with a history of trauma. Um, Just to give you some examples, a lot of data supports that one out of four women will be the victims of childhood sexual assault by the age of 18. One third of female military veterans will report a history of military sexual violence. One fourth of women will, will report severe physical violence from intimate partner violence. 44% in some studies will tell you they've had a traumatic birth experience. And if we just extrapolate those numbers, that's a lot of women who may come to our labor and delivery floors with histories of trauma that we don't even recognize. So, So realization that it's out there, it's pervasive, and it's probably right in front of us all the time. That's number one that I teach them. And in this lecture, I also talk about what is it to recognize them? Because a lot of individuals have never disclosed this history of what's happened to them, to anybody, or if they've tried, they were dismissed, and so they don't do it anymore, and they don't trust. And I tell providers that people aren't coming in with that label across their forehead, so how do we recognize them? So we teach. I teach them how to identify behaviors. I teach them to look for physical manifestations, as well as psychiatric diagnoses, anxiety, depression. Um, substance use disorders might be rooted in histories of trauma. Then I try to teach them what does it look like for an obstetric patient, especially given all of the different triggers that they might encounter. And um, (laughs) when Apoor was mentioning that, is it inherently traumatic for someone to have a child? I would love to invite you both into our operating rooms just to walk in there. The amount of Um, triggers that are in that room. It's terrifying for a woman who even doesn't have a history of trauma. To to come in there though with a history of trauma and to see the bright lights, the sounds, the strangers, some places they'll strap women to the table. it's really hard to overstate the vulnerability in that position. For
0: I remember clinging to my my anesthesiologist, which is why I love that that's what you do because that's what it that's what it is. It's like you have that person who's there and it was a guy mm-hmm. named Kevin and he just stood there the whole time and said, I, okay, this is what you see, this is what you hear. And it makes such a difference. And that's why I love that you have these two components because it, you are that person for them sometimes.
1: I think of us as the guardians of psychological safety. I've been quoted as saying that, and and I believe that, especially in the operating room, because there's a drape of the surgeons are doing their part and you're awake. Most women are awake. Um, So so recognizing these types of things for women is important. And then the next aspect of teaching is how not to re-traumatize. And so I do these other modules in terms of the training where we explore cases, for example, handwritten narratives by patients to teach these providers, this is what you see, but here's what they see. Here's how they perceive their experience. And then we start working on better ways to communicate how our words are so powerful, either positive or negative, and what's important. And then the third aspect of the training is bringing in actresses and actors um, with specific scripts to cover certain aspects of trauma and letting them work on the skills that I give them to say, let's practice. Let's see how you can work with a 18 year old, for example, who's having acute triggering with contractions and you know you need to get to a point where you both agree she needs to go to the operating room. How do you do that? So in terms of how am I getting to providers, this is what I'm doing. And, and like I said, each one is different. For some of my anesthesia modules, we work on prevention of trauma. And some of the things that we know that as anesthesiologists we can do to cause trauma for patients is perhaps struggling for an hour to do an epidural or spinal. Right? That happens. So what if we trained everyone to use the ultrasound to help with their process. And so I've been doing that with some of my providers, um, teaching them by way of patient stories and narratives, letting up an actual patient come and talk. So being creative and working with different groups. Um, and for, for patients, when we were talking about, you know two different groups, um, I've started taking some patients through virtual operating room tours, because I feel like one out of three women in our country end up in that operating room and as we just said, it is terrifying. It's it's a nice thing to have them sit at home where they're safe and to slowly walk through it, and give them context, familiarity, have a chance to ask questions, have a chance to talk about options. What can we change? What can't we change? And to identify potential triggers for them and eliminate or minimize as much as we can, so.
2: So Dr. Vogel, you've you've really explained mm-hmm. that so nicely for our audience. I think it's it's fascinating um, all the the different things you're trying to do for for each party. Yes. Uh, I'm, I'm wondering, hopefully this doesn't maybe maybe take us down a tangent, but I'm wondering, especially in the cultural context of micro trauma that we're all hearing about and all experiencing and 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 trying to become more sensitive to, whether how much of that is also playing a role for for the women who are interacting with our health system, we were talking a little bit before the interview started about just how our health system itself is designed to to kind of induce trauma because of the lack of compassion, maybe the lack of trust. You mentioned the OR and how sterile and, and cold it can feel, uh, repetitive, uh, you know, uh, attempts at trying to get an epidural. Uh, I'm trying to think of the of the woman who's just going in for a checkup and she doesn't even know. When she walks out, you know what the verdict will be. And it's almost like some sort of uh, judgment hanging over your head every time you're even going in for a checkup or an ultrasound check. And isn't that, you know, likely at least inducing some form of trauma? Uh, the other, the other point that's that's coming back to me, maybe because of personal experiences, uh, you know, in, in our family, my 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 family, my sisters and others and friends, I've seen so many of them go through miscarriages. Uh, and I feel like that's itself such a traumatic experience. Every time one of them brings it up, it, it's almost like they're recalling that experience and feeling the trauma of that. You know, I couldn't keep myself safe. I couldn't keep my baby safe, as you mentioned earlier. So uh, maybe, maybe a lot there. But I just love to hear your thoughts on you know the, what maybe in between those folks coming in with all the all the prior trauma and then maybe having experiencing trauma during childbirth. And then are there other aspects of this sort of, um, I guess I'm calling it microtrauma, but how, how do you help, can you help us understand that and what, what that's contributing as well?
1: Well, every path of the way has the potential. Every time a patient comes in to interact, there is that potential for, like you said, additional microtrauma or to have more adversarial interactions as opposed to having someone understand them. Going in for ultrasounds, can be very distressing for a lot of patients, especially those that have had loss. And I work with a lot of them. In fact, we're trying to develop some pathways now for women who've had perinatal losses, including early miscarriages, and having a separate pathway for them so that they meet with perhaps mental health providers, myself, special obstetricians, special ultrasonographers who are trained in trauma awareness, and have a better perspective of what these people need. Um, But yes, they can get, it's, it's the layers and layers. They can go to ultrasound and have a very, someone that's not sensitive to what they need. And then they go to their obstetrician who's not sensitive and it just builds layers and layers of distrust. And so to that point, we need to reach all of them. And so I've sometimes had to reach out and advocate for patients to find them someone who will do their ultrasounds, who I know works with our perinatal hospice group, for example, I work with them and this is all about loss. So we know individuals that are trained. And my goal would be to get all of them trained to understand, look, this person's had five miscarriages. It's gonna be very, very anxiety provoking for her to have an ultrasound. So what can we do to create a safer environment do we need to make sure she's with somebody? Do you need music? Do you need a special way of speaking to her? Um, you know, they're, they're, we just need to think differently. And to your point of loss, that is a huge source of trauma. And several of the women I see in my clinic come to me with these losses. And that's another thing that's on my list to do is to train providers in the operating room on how to work. And, and interact in a different way if they have to come in for procedures to fit you know to complete the miscarriage so to speak the dncs um, because a lot of women say it's very they're not treated very well or it's very scary or traumatic for those events so yeah we it's that is a big source of trauma that we need to
2: work on i'm just learning so much from you dr vogel you're really opening up my eyes to uh uh, a, a field of medicine, which you sort of just think, okay, well, it's, uh, you know, childbirth, it's natural, it's been going on for millennia. And, you know, here we're adding some supports. And so we must be making it better. And yet without realizing the different ways in which we may not be making it better, uh, we may not be aware and we may be complicated things. So, so I guess for my final question, I, I'd love for you to talk a little bit, you, you know, the, about what you talked with us earlier about trust. How, how, what can the provider do uh, recognizing potential history of trauma recognizing the, the the likelihood that anything they might do could create trauma how can they help to create that sense of compassion or trust or hope that will can really help women who are going through uh, you know this uh, this challenging time
1: I think it's going to take some training again that understanding of why the person sitting in front of them doesn't trust, then I think what's important to do is to learn how to listen and to, I I think that's a huge part of it. And and to understand when a patient says, walks into your office for their first visit and says, I know this is my first baby but I, I just want a cesarean section, which would be unusual for example. And for a provider to not say, well, we don't do that here. But to sit down and ask the question why tell me your perspective on this why would why do you feel that that's your best choice and is there something that we really need to talk about in that right sitting down as opposed to standing like learning different body language can help to establish trust these are easy things um, take away the hierarchy because A lot of people that come from trauma have distrust of authority figures. So let's take that away. Sit down at level instead of standing with your arms crossed above them. Um, Look them in the eye. Talk slowly, ask for permission before you do any touch. Make sure they're comfortable. Give them some control with pacing of things. Again, these are all this doesn't need a lot of training. It's just allowing for some patience and time. And that's the other thing from a systemic level or systems-based level, we need to allow our providers time. That's the luxury I have in my clinic. I give them an hour at least to t- just to be able to tell their story in a safe space. If you only have 15 minutes, it's a lot harder. And I think a lot of my colleagues would would say they'd love to have a little more time to be able to spend. And that's how you start to establish trust. So it it is some learning, but it also is just adapting and and changing some, some processes, simple things that we can do.
0: I like that a lot of those tips are things that can be incorporated as a blanket to the way that they're treating people, you know, it's tailored, but it's also like, okay, don't stand with your arms crossed. It's things like that, that isn't complicating the work that doctors are doing because, you know, not that I mean, patients, I think should always be the focus, but I think there are challenges too, that doctors are being asked of so much, you know, you have to do this, you have to do this, you have to do this. And I feel like sometimes maybe they're trying, but it's like a checklist in their head and they just can't figure everything out. So I love that the tips that you're giving them are just very easy things that actually do make a big difference to the patients and help them build that trust. That's the type of things that really are gonna make a difference to them. And so along those lines, through your clinic and through the people that you've worked with over the years, what are some of these results that you've seen from somebody who started with you before they've had the next baby or their first baby or whatever the case may be, and then seeing them after that when they've gone through this process of the care informed the trauma informed care
1: it's i wish i could have them tell you it's amazing i get texts from them that don't just say thank you they say i couldn't have done it without your help you must be there with the next child i get pictures of their babies even years later They want to come back and be peer advocates. I've had women tell me I'm ready now to wean off of subutex because they've gained some confidence in what they were able to do in childbirth. They, some of them have gone on then to dig in and actually go to seek therapy for their previous trauma, which they had never done before. They've been put in contact with other specialists that can offer new novel treatments for them for their childhood abuse. The list goes on and on, and it's it's just incredible. Now, I've been doing this clinic with the grant. will be coming up on a year at the end of May, so I'm hoping to gather all the data from just this year and to put it together in some numbers to show people what a difference we're making in the lives of these individuals, and it, it's just it's hard to even put into words, but they are so appreciative. For some, it's the first time they've ever felt listened to in their lives. And to and to go through a childbirth that is so different, it really does set them on a different trajectory. So who knows what they can accomplish afterwards.
0: I think that is beyond incredible. And I, I don't think you're just changing their lives. I think you're changing the lives of their baby because who knows? what kind of situation they would have been, you know, how would they be equipped to handle that baby if something happens? You know, they might, it might just be a scarier situation. They're probably giving their whole baby a whole different start because of the way that you're helping them get through these things. And that's amazing. I am so happy that you joined us and that we got to have this conversation because it was just incredible.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you for being interested and being willing to put this out there um, because I'm hoping that we, we can change a culture and, and it's, I'm just the messenger and I'm happy to train, but it's, we definitely want to change it for all, all people, you know, and Nick, and it's not just in obstetrics, but how we treat our patients in every area of medicine. So, but Dr. thank Google, you
2: I couldn't imagine a better messenger than you who can really so patiently and and uh, calmly and logically emotionally as well explain this to us and and uh, and to our audience it, I just find it incredibly empowering that uh, you're out there so thank you for sharing this with us and for enlightening us
0: well thank you very much I appreciate that and thank you all for watching bye bye